0: Welcome to Melbourne Recital Centre's Sound Escapes podcast, I'm Kat McGoran. In this podcast, we will learn about the extraordinary story of the Central Australian Aboriginal Women's Choir and the choral tradition that has survived for nearly 150 years. Our special guests are Choir Master Stuart Morris and Naina Sen, director, writer and producer of a documentary about the choir called The Song Keepers, which will premiere at the 2017 Melbourne International Film Festival. Stuart Morris starts us off by explaining how the Lutheran faith came to Central Australia.
1: Run right about the, the early 1880s, um, a group of German mission pioneers uh, entered Central Australia. They were anxious to connect with um, Aboriginal people. Uh, obviously, they had their own uh, passion to connect, to bring their faith and so they, yeah, they took it on themselves to to come to Australia and then a long trek to central Australia. And they finally got to the area that is Ntaria and started to make contact with the local Aboriginal people. Um, it wasn't a seamless connection, however. It took quite a bit of time um, for them to gain any traction at all with the local people who suspected them of all kinds of... Uh, things in the first instance, because many of them had never seen people like that before. And uh, there was quite a bit of suspicion and resistance, but the Germans were quite persistent in their efforts and quite respectful, and in the end, gained the friendship of some really key leading men from Italia, who, after a passage of time, agreed to teach their language to the Germans. And that's how the connection started.
0: What religions were the missionaries from?
1: They were Lutherans. They were from Martin Luther's church, so they were Reformation Lutherans. And the interesting thing about a fundamental tenet is that people should have the language of the Bible and of the Christian faith. It It should be in their mother tongue, because until then, of course, it was mediated through the use of the Latin language. So they had a very strong commitment to language learning if they were going to share their Christian faith with any group of people. So learning the language was the first thing they ever did when they went into what they would have considered virgin territory. Part of the Reformation ethos that you don't impose a foreign language on people. You actually learn their language. And if they're going to embrace the belief, then they would need to do so in the language that they dream in.
0: Do you know, Morris, what motivated people from Germany to come out here and head into the desert, all that
1: all that time Well, ago? this is something that people don't understand. It's just what motivates anyone to follow a passion. You know, what motivates Martin Luther King? It was the passion to see justice for Afri- African Americans and a better society for America. What motivated the Germans was their, their concern for another group of human beings who they understood were being um, subjugated by the British. <laughs> And they felt that their faith had something to offer them in terms of, you know, what they brought. You know, it was a, a holistic thing. They brought education. They brought learning. They brought working with people to be literate in their own language. They brought their language skills to work with people to reduce their language to a written form. Um, they were motivated by their faith, a real passion to um, share what they experienced with other people. Now, people may think that that's. Uh, An arrogant assumption or a misplaced assumption, but you say what motivated them. What motivated the Germans was pure, uncomplicated Christian discipleship and mission. That basically was their approach.
0: It seems like when these German people went in, they had an attitude that was perhaps different to uh, the one that is the more dominant narrative, Mm -hmm. I suppose, of of, uh, missionary goals and attitudes. Yeah.
1: Well, they weren't unsullied saints if i can put it that way you know no community is has got clean hands when it comes to mission and invasion so there were some of those aspects to their presence and their but there there are a couple of differences one is they weren't part of the conquering colonial power in fact as germans they would have been somewhat suspect uh, as time went on and you'd understand that from subsequent history and the way Germans were interred in in Australia and so on so but they they weren't part of the colonial power even though they were a european people so even though the colonial powers would have used them as sort of intermediaries these people saw themselves as not part of that conquering force that's one thing the other thing is that they had a strong commitment to respecting the culture and language, although many of them made mistakes and many of them did horrible things. It's a mixed story. Um, It's a much more nuanced story. The bad story is present, but they're also these early pioneers. They were ordinary people, artisans, but they came not with a view that they were superior. They wanted to connect with people and they wanted to learn their language and they wanted to transmit their faith. The other thing that they discovered was that... um, At that stage, a lot of German society was illiterate and they transmitted their their knowledge, if you like, their wisdom through folk music, through song. And that was a connection with Aboriginal people in the Central Desert who, of course, transmitted their knowledge through song and ceremony. So there was a recognition from the the missionaries that, um, hey, you know, we have something in common with these people. We transmit our knowledge through... Song that was the connection. Within a year, they had translated fifty-three of their hymns into the uh, Western Aranda language, which was spoken by people in the area of Ontario. Uh,
0: looking back on what we know of those uh, mm-hmm. original songs that came and were translated, what do they yeah. sound, What do they sound like now? What are the arrangements like now? Like how well have they been preserved?
1: Well, the amazing thing about um, the music that was then added to and retranslated by local people uh, the compendium was added to by local people writing hymns in their own traditional uh, western aranda chanting style those original songs that were brought by the missionaries were were preserved in their original form and and of course you know there were songs that were written in the early 19th century, some were written before that, 16th century, and they were accompanied by musical arrangements from the Romantic and from the Baroque era. And these were the things that the German people taught to the Western Islander people, and they kept those arrangements. So when the choir was travelling in Germany, two years ago, German people could recognise the tune and and the the arrangements of many of the songs, not all of them, but quite a few of them. They had long since stopped singing them, but these people from the Central Desert had preserved this tradition in almost what you would call as a pure form.
0: So it's really a unique musical piece of history that we've got here
1: absolutely it, this this is a, this is a peerless um, compendium you know nothing like this exists anywhere else in the world we've got very old sacred poetry hymns we've got baroque and early romantic era musical arrangements and these are now if you like they're cached and carried in these very ancient aboriginal languages two of them mainly western aranda and now this story is is look it's a a wonderful story it's got a lot of exciting aspects to it a lot of educational aspects to it as we learn something of a vibrant part of aboriginal culture in central australia on the other hand though because of the whole mission connection it's very disturbing to people who are well aware of the bad side of that story you know and it's not just opinion there's a lot of fact to to um, illustrate the fact that, that this is a very mixed story and there were some very bad things that were done to Aboriginal people. So the big question is, you know, why in spite of it, are these women and many communities, Lutheran communities in Central Australia, why do they embrace this, um, I guess, black people embracing white person's religion, which is what some people would see it as. And and I, I've, I've learned that there's a meta-narrative that... The whole Bishan enterprise was an unmitigated disaster, a bad thing, and the proponents of that meta narrative would now be telling Aboriginal people that they shouldn't have anything to do with anything associated with that body of knowledge or the people who it's associated with. And in a sense, that's another form of imperialism because it doesn't allow for the fact that Aboriginal people and other people all over the world who've had similar experiences have a capacity to examine a body of knowledge in spite of the distortions and the injustices for which that body of knowledge was used, but they're able to actually examine that for themselves and decide which part of that story is authentic and is kind and is just to them. and is something that they can absorb, adopt and adapt to their own thinking and their own culture and their own lifestyle. And this is what Aboriginal people have done. And it's a very sophisticated process. And to deny people uh, the opportunity of doing that and deciding whether they will accept or reject or which aspects they will accept or reject is almost like committing a second genocide. The first genocide is to use the story to subjugate people The second genocide is because of your guilt and your action, denying those people from making mature judgments about whether this body of knowledge has anything to do with them as human beings or not.
0: Naina Sen has spent the last three years working and touring with the choir as she documented their tradition, the lives of choir members and their tour of Germany. As a filmmaker, Naina says she was drawn to the story for many reasons. Just the palpable joy that
2: those women have on their faces when they sing. And to me, you know, it was, it was so many things. To start with, it was a group of women, you know. The, a lot of indigenous music in the mainstream in this country is very male-dominated. So to me, to see, and that was certainly my, my introduction to indigenous music to that point. Um, and it was this group of extraordinary women who had taken this obscure legacy that no one knew about. And had preserved it for 140 years and had made it their own. They hadn't just preserved something that had been given. They had embraced it and made it deeper within their own cultural context, which, you know, I thought was, as, as a filmmaker, I just thought, people need to know about this. You know, why don't people know about this? You know, this is, a, this is like a hidden treasure in this country that is in these obscure little churches in Central Australia in the middle of nowhere, and
0: it's beautiful. Did you get any insight into how or why this tradition was upheld by women? So, you
2: know, initially, from what I understand and what the women have said, um, you know, till the 60s and 70s, it was a massive movement. So each each community had a choir, you know, it was a massive thing. They had, you know, choir festivals, um, they went interstate, they did tours, and that were, those were all mixed choirs, there were big mixed choirs, so there was men, women, they had school choirs, so the women in the choir, most of these women come from a, a background and a legacy where you know, some of them have been singing for fifty years in choirs um, and From what I understand, there was a few things that happened you know in the late '70s early '80s, the missions as as kind of themselves, the missions actually left the communities, and uh, along with that. Country and Western music was introduced to the men. They had guitars. So from what I understand, the men decided that's the kind of music they wanted to pursue. And the women said, no, no, we want to keep doing this. So then they took it on and they kept it.
0: It sounds like this is a very early example of Western and Aboriginal cultures being really authentically and truly blended together to create something uh, that was or is entirely new.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, to me, I guess this story and this music is is um, is representative of how adaptive and constantly evolving Indigenous culture is. And, you know, you think about it, this is the longest surviving culture in the world. And it's a beautiful example of taking on things that are not yours, but then making them yours, you know, and... Again, to me, one of the things that drew me to this story was the, that duality. You know, Central Australia has this very interesting duality of, of identity, you know, of, of people of very strong uh, faith, but also very strong culture. All these women, you know, they are, yes, they have great faith, but they're also very strong custodians of their own culture, traditional culture. Again, to me, what was really interesting was how effortlessly they balance the two. And, you know, I think it's more this thing of how can you have one and without the you know, how can you have one? D- does that mean you have to give up the other one? I think these are, uh, these are Western constructs that have been put on, you know, for the women from what I understand, what they have said. There is no confusion. They believe in both things. They hold both things and they feel stronger for it. That's their personal experience that's how they feel they're not trying to impose it on anyone else it is just what it is you know and they're unabashedly apologetic unapologetic about it as they should be I think all of this stuff comes from like I said a western mindset being put on being projected but I think you have to you have to look at it more holistically and deeper to see that you know with the missionaries coming to this country And again, I shouldn't say missionaries because this was very specific. This was the Lutheran missionaries who came. They made a lot of mistakes. There's no question about that. This music that came out of it was not one of them. It was actually something quite beautiful that came out of some very complex things that happened. And if this music wasn't important, it wouldn't have survived. Aboriginal people preserve things that are important to them. So in a very odd way, you look at you know the 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 idea the idea of multiculturalism in its pure sense this to me is that it really is 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 two cultures that came together and and found common ground in something and yes and then made it their own so in the day and age we live in in this world, certainly in this country i don't know there's something very powerful about that about about how that was done, and you know the fact that the women in the choir now have ownership over this legacy they're very proud of it but they also feel the responsibility of keeping it they're quite aware that you know a lot of these songs have been lost in germany which again to me is extraordinary like if you think about the fact that you know 40 years from now an ethnomusicologist from europe says i'd like to trace the melodies of these songs there's a good chance that the only recordings they will find will be in aboriginal languages i mean how extraordinary is that
0: what was it like taking this culture or taking this new culture over to Germany and and what was the reception like there? Ah. Oh, I mean
2: that that tour to Germany that we did in 2015 was was extraordinary. It was extraordinary for many reasons, but for me personally, it was just amazing to see those women, you know, totally in their element, totally in their power. They were so strong and regal and proud and you know they were taking there's this massive full circle moment happening obviously because they were taking these songs back to source but they were doing it in language and they were doing it on their own terms so it was an incredibly powerful thing to witness because it was very clear that they had ownership and pride over this music and they were also very proud to take it back to the place it had come from and you know the audiences were (laughs) you know there was a lot of emotions i think it was very emotional emotional is a good word because they were very emotional at receiving this they were i think they were quite surprised i don't know i don't know they what they thought they were going to listen to but the women have they hold this space when they perform and it it is joyous but yes it is deeply raw and it is emotional so it was i think I mean, those audiences were stunned. They, you know, they were stunned, but they were incredibly receptive, incredibly warm. We played to packed churches, you know, standing ovations. And it was, again, it was very interesting because, you know, initially audiences didn't quite know you're in a church. So do you clap? Do you not clap? Sometimes, you know, Morris would have to say, it's okay, you know, you can show your appreciation. It was, and it was like they were waiting for permission and then they would just go nuts, you know. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing.
0: Now, the choir is coming down to Melbourne. Will they be in attendance for the premiere of your documentary as well? They absolutely will. Um, we're
2: very, very excited about that. To me, I was very, very clear in my head that there was no way I was going to launch this film without them because this is their story, you know. And um, I think for me, one of the highlights, really, one of the things I'm most looking forward to is is watching the film with them in that theatre and because... I guess to me, my biggest uh, responsibility is to them. I want them to be really proud of the story, and I, and I think they will be. It doesn't
0: matter where we're from, the music brings us together. Thanks for listening to Melbourne Recital Centre's Sound Escapes podcast on the Central Australian Aboriginal Women's Choir and their choral music tradition. For more information, related news, stories and events, visit melbournerecital.com.au. I'm Kat McGoran. Till next time.